you would all just listen to me, it would all be better. Welcome to Meaning What. I'm your host, Mason Hershenow. This week, Sean and I introduce our month-long conversation about LGBTQ issues in the arts, beginning with pride. We talk about the history, contemporary, and what's still to come. Hey, Sean, what month is it? It's Gay Rights Month! It's Pride Month. (laughs) I made a joke last month about how you were getting two months um, Mm -hmm. this year. Uh, We just wrapped up AAPI Heritage Month, and now we are in uh, Gay Rights Month, um, known colloquially as Pride Month. Um, And so for today's episode, what we wanted to do is introduce the idea of Pride. Um, I don't think it will be a new concept to most people listening to this podcast, uh, given just the demographics of who would listen to a a art podcast hosted by rather progressive voices. Um, most of those people are going to know what Pride is, right? Thanks, um, gay friends. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, gay friends. Um, <laughs> we wanted to do an episode that would serve first and foremost, as an introduction to the ideas and topics we're going to be covering this month, where usually when we do an episode, we have a specific idea um, or a specific point we're trying to make. Um, We'll make a couple in this episode, but the real purpose of this episode is to just sort of lay some groundwork for the things that we're going to be talking about later in the month. And also lay some groundwork for some of our opinions on these things. Neither of us are experts. We're not historians. I'm not gay. But we have ideas. <laughs> yeah, but we have lots of ideas. Um, for the month of June, we're going to be focusing on stories in the art space that have a particular focus on queer identity and LGBTQ issues. And... Um, That's going to take a couple different forms, but we thought that maybe the best way to start is to just begin by talking about pride, and I think specifically the commodification of pride, Um, but that might even be getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Yeah. I am not a queer historian. I don't think Mason is, but we can talk about pride You see, like, you can't even, like, what pride is today and what, you know, everyone's wild assumptions of it are, are just, it essentially boils down to commemorating the 1969 Stonewall riots from New York City, which was a pivotal moment in modern LGBTQIA history in the sense it's, like, (laughs) the most famous moment for we fucking fought back, but... I'm sure most of our listeners have an idea of what Pride is. It's that one day where you all get to go to a big city and wear rainbow flags and wear rainbow finger paint and have so much fun looking at people be sweaty and naked. It's an important thing to talk about because the way that Pride has sort of morphed into what it is today is a really excellent encapsulation of a lot of forces in marginal or kind of outside cultural spaces. 
when the fringe culture gets popular enough with the mainstream, what happens? And also, it's a really interesting examination of how a country and an economy can celebrate, talk about celebrating something while actively pushing back against it. And, you know, how sometimes that opens up the door for people to have a misunderstanding about where something like gay rights actually are. It's just a particularly like disturbing thing about Pride Today. Think of the banner. There's about 17 and a half brands like plastered on it. And the, the, the parade is each float is sponsored by a fucking company. Um, when Pride was meant to be a protest um, and an aggressive, not comfortable declaration of queerness because um, we would like to stop dying, please. Please please treat us like humans. So a little bit of history. Pride as we know it now kind of grew out of remembrance of the Stonewall riot in 1969. Um, Stonewall was, of course, a riot following a police raid on the Stonewall Inn in Greenwich Village in Manhattan. A flashpoint for the modern gay rights movement. Um, the following year, in June of 1970, there were a number of marches and demonstrations across the country. Um, a major one was in Chicago. There were also demonstrations that same week in San Francisco, Los Angeles, and New York City. And Pride became a way to commemorate the events at Stonewall, but then also as a moment of very open visibility, especially in a culture that, you know, it was really, we'll say, encouraged to not be visible as a gay person. Um, and so Pride was a protest against that, but also an, an opportunity for that outward expression of one's identity, whatever that identity might be. It began as a very radical act, right? We're thinking coming out of the Summer of Love, the hippie movement of the late 60s, and also coming off of the civil rights movement, obviously. You know, the major civil rights legislation passing in the mid to late 1960s, an era of surprising progressive movement in the United States, coming out of a very conservative post-war country, you know, the baby boomers pushing back against that and um, sort of reconceptualizing what personal identity can be, what sexual identity can be, all across the spectrum. As we moved into the 1980s, there was a bit of a cultural shift in the country at large, but also uh, within LGBTQ communities, where the push was away from radicalism and more towards cultural mainstream or kind of moving in that direction. Um, that is the area that we see the dropping of terms like gay liberation and gay freedom and replacing it with gay pride, right? And then that morphs into what it becomes in the 1990s and then into the 2000s where it becomes... Blair. A, you know, it, it sort of moves and weaves into the mainstream. Um, and then obviously uh, in the late 2000s, finally, we have a massive popular cultural shift into this acceptance of at least the sort of let's say basic level gay rights marriage which is right. apparently which is apparently what we were all scraping for 
Right. Well, you know, in 40 years, we went from, uh, you know, forced sterilization to, uh, y'all can't get married, I guess. You're not going to threaten the nuclear family, except a little bit. (laughs) So, that's a long history, right? And there is no shortage of people who will talk on this point more eloquently than either of us ever could. There are obviously experts in this field uh, and historians who who cover this. Um, But like we said at the top, it's an interesting sort of distillation of what this sort of cultural shift looks like, right? When the radical becomes the mainstream. I mean, we'll talk about it, but it is interesting to see how easily we stratify into... I have a touch more privilege than you, so let me make sure that you get shoved it down. And the most common response is, well, we aren't getting any progress if we are um, fighting each other, because, bitch, you're actively (laughs) encroaching on my rights, so I'm going to yell at you. Are you thinking of specific uh, issues there, Sean? White people. So one of the big shifts that we see obviously this year, is the cultural conversations about majority and minority groups and how we are thinking about levels of systemic oppression, both, you know, conscious ones and subconscious ones. And these issues don't just stop in a place like Pride, right? Which is a celebration of a cultural minority, and it still is. Um, But within that minority, there are minorities as well. Um, And so as our cultural conversation about how the culture at large treats minority groups shifts, that conversation also inevitably shifts within groups like those at Pride. And we're seeing this play out in really interesting ways. One of the big controversies this year that I specifically wanted to talk to you about, Sean, was this push that has bubbled up in the Twitter sphere um, and we can talk about if it would even exist if Twitter was a thing. I think that it's probably becoming clear, and if it's not, it will soon, that I really think that Twitter shouldn't exist, and it is the the core of a lot of our problems. Um, you know, it's almost as bad as Facebook, but I digress. There's this this fight online over whether or not kink, and specifically BDSM, sh- has a place at Pride now. Um, Mm -hmm. or if it should be um, put back in the closet, as it were. (laughs) But, um, woof. Yeah, how do we wait? How do you wait in this conversation? Sean, you you are, for obvious reasons, much more plugged into the culture and I think probably the discourse around this than I am. Um, Mm -hmm. It would at least, you know, cross your feed much more frequently than it would mine. Incessantly. Right. As When it gets to me, it's been filtered a couple of times. So the people that I know who are talking about it are either not talking about it amongst themselves or they are, it's reached me because they're now talking to their straight friends or whatever. Um, so <laughs> talk I, to you sometimes. Yeah. You know, sometimes it gets out and, you know, um, is it as big of a controversy as uh, some folks are making it up to be? Is it a new conversation, or is it is it something that has been happening for a long time and has just now gotten 
the viral attention? It's it it's most definitely that. I feel like you know, the symptom of Twitter is we are all still cooped up on some level right now. So there therefore discourse is just more contentious, more just oh my god, can we just all just take a fucking break? So it is a tale as old as time, but I guess this is the year we're going to have discourse for better or worse, everyone. So strap in. And it's interesting because it's being framed as a old gays versus new gays kind of thing. And like we were talking in our pre-talk, there's this ominous tone of think about the kids. It's always somehow, why is gay rights always think about the kids? <laughs> None of us are children. We are emotionally stunted human beings. Yes, that's our, <laughs> that is our living. But <laughs> we ain't kids. That is, that's the most basic cultural dog whistle, right? Is right. Think, think about the children. What will this do to the children? And in a place like Pride, the obvious answer is it will expose kids to people who are living in ways other than them, right? Right. And who have, um, who live in a way that they wouldn't see otherwise, right? Right. Where else are they going to experience that? And so uh, you can be a moron and think that that's going to make kids gay do dangerous things or or just outright make them gay um or you can consider it for what it is right it it is an opportunity for that self-expression but also for kids who, who who would not see that anywhere else to see it and begin that discourse whether it is with their parents or with their friends or whatever right and start looking into it for themselves. And that doesn't just happen with BDSM, right? That is the entire... With everything. This whole conversation comes down to a cultural stigma that we have about sexual issues, right? And I think one of the tricky parts about conversations around LGBT issues is that sexuality is the core of it. And so in a society where we don't want to talk to our children about sex, it's really... You know, it becomes a really thorny issue really quick to have productive conversations about, for example, what this exposes our children to. And the other argument I hear is, well, I don't want to see it, so you shouldn't have to subject me to it. Which, like, yes, but it is also A, a public space, B, think about the context of pride, C, remove yourself from said space. Right. I do it all the time. I don't want to be somewhere. <laughs> I leave. If there if it is 90% straight white people, I extricate myself from the situation. It has changed my life. <laughs> well, you know, like I support pride, but it's not a space that I would be comfortable in just because it's a whole bunch of people being very loud. That's not for me. So I don't go. And that's fine. <laughs> it's a it's a tough line to walk, right? The idea that yeah. every space needs to be as accessible as possible. Inclusive and safe. Um, And as safe as possible, which that's a reasonable thing to want. But there is a difference between places being as accessible as possible and spaces being accessible to everyone, which is maybe the ultimate goal, but it's not possible, right? There's always going to be someone that a space is not for or not accessible to. And so... There's a balance that has to be struck, right? Of like, 
how do we get as many people involved who want to be involved as possible without destroying the thing as it is, right? Or or without filing the edges off, right? Which we already did. Without making it less useful. Right. And so I, I think that's the core of this argument. And without sounding like the grumpy old millennial, because... We're old by now. Our generation's landing there. But, like, you see this issue come up a lot about spaces needing to be open to accessible and comfortable for everyone. And it's just not a thing that can be, right? It's not a thing that is actually possible. Um, and it defeats the purpose of a, a space like this. Yeah, and also from my personal experience of going to SF Pride, I only saw one dick running about. Like, I didn't see anyone getting publicly flogged or fisted in the street. I think that's in the rooftop parties at someone else's expensive house elsewhere. And it's not to say that it can't happen or that it wouldn't <laughs> happen, but um, the the other side of this, too, is that from what I understand from, you know, people that I know who go, like, that is mostly the experience. There are, let's say, the more extreme parts of it that you can find, if that's what you want to go find. And that is what we see when we see pictures of it in the paper or whatever, right? Because I, th I think that shifted a little bit now, but, you know, like, that's the stuff that grabs your attention, right? And so you're going to see more of that. But it is very much in danger of making a mountain out of a molehill, right? Like, mm -hmm. like the things that we, sh I don't know, it, you know, when we boil down the debate to kink, bad, or good, we take away airspace from, I guess, other conversations we could and should be having. Like, maybe let's make pride less cis and male. Because newsflash, it's still shockingly that. Like, let's make it beyond tokenism. Um, like, you know, things like the, the, the pride, the, the Stonewall movie we were, where we made the main character a cis white guy when it was black trans woman who did, oh, mm, tale as old as time. As a, as a segue to something that we'll talk about, um, yeah, you, you won't have any reference for this, but on the earlier seasons of Drag Race, there was a recurring guest judge because they were also a, I guess, big sponsor from Absolute Vodka in Jeffrey Moran, and he was known as the branding or image czar. But he always came, and he was terrible, had seemingly no context for what was going on in front of him. And anytime they, like, made a challenge where th these poor drag queens had to hawk this vodka, it always became, well, this wasn't, like, respectable or real enough. We're on a show that's a farce about drag queens making fun of reality TV shows. Who gives a shit about how appropriate it is? But he did, continually. And I, I, I think it's, I guess, if anything, even for someone who is known, widely known as a pass-around party bottom and is part of the community, part of corporations that see the buying power of the LGBTQ community, apparently, to the tune of $3.7 billion, um, and decide, we need to make money off of it, and then therefore... Oof, saw off all sand off declaw the any edges possible and also make as much money as we can off of it go right so that's the issue that is really at the heart of everything right is that as something becomes culturally mainstream groups with money gain vested interest in it right the people and 
corporations who, in this country, we also consider people, Ugh. believe, you know, the, the, the things that they believe to be worth investing in have to continue to turn a profit, right? And without falling too far down into, you know, Marxist rhetoric, like, when that begins to creep in, it, it makes it very difficult for something to continue being subversive, right? Mm-hmm. We see that here, and that is why a conversation like does kink have any place here, that's why it gets any air at all, right? Because there are people who have a vested interest in making Pride a um, quote-unquote family-friendly affair, right? They don't want anyone to be offended because they have tied their brand to it, right? Skittles cannot be seen funding uh, debaucherous sexual acts, right? Because we care about that in this country for some reason, um, and 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 that is bad for Skittles, right? And and so Skittles has an interest in you, uh, you know, putting on a nice polo shirt and walking in a respectful line, you know, and and if you do that, then maybe they will fund some some big performance there or something, right? Um, that is the issue that we are running into. And and I'm not saying that the conversation around kink, specifically in Pride, comes out of that, but it, it is fueled by the environment that the corporatization of culture creates, right? Because there are people who have a real interest in making sure that it is as to borrow a term, as vanilla as possible, right? Right. So no anal beads made out of Skittles? Not officially branded. Ugh. You can find anything on Etsy now, though. <laughs> oh, I... Uh... Ooh, I just don't know if that's good for you, <laughs> but who, who knows what is good for you anyways. But I also was thinking about it's also shaping an environment for... A younger generation, like we were talking, again, something we were really aptly talking about before, about how being a younger queer, you take on what you vaguely know in platitudes, or maybe you do know a little history of queer liberation and the struggle, but you're also growing up in a very different environment where you may not necessarily have nearly as much struggle, or your struggles are a different set of struggles. So you're just context for the importance of being like unacceptable and being debaucherous and being loud. Uh, like you just don't like, maybe you just don't understand the cultural weight of what that carries. Well, for young people now, um, and, and by young, I, I think that I include, you know, children of the nineties as we are the threat of being in a sexual or gender minority is very different than it was for mm-hmm. our parents' generation or even mm-hmm. Gen X, right? Like yep. that is a very different set of issues. And so on the one hand, the needs and wants of the current generation of young people coming up through this is going to be very different. And the way that they experience, you know, living with any particular identity is going to be very different than the folks that came before them. But it it also has this like really difficult to navigate edge of when you come up and become part of a culture that already exists, that is built on 
very specific and very traumatic sort of shared experiences. You know, how, how do you adapt that culture to generations of people who have experienced that trauma in different ways and in some cases maybe not at all? It's hard. Um, but it's also like, it's something I hear a lot from general consensus of queer elders. It's like, learn your history. How do you not know this stuff? And some of it is a little finger waggy, but the other part of it is that it that you have to understand these contexts for like how these forces work in front of you right now. Like you just like can't accept these things at face value because they may pretend to accept us or want our money now, but the world is works in fickle ways and who knows what the next post-war slump will look like. Well, and also it's not to say that young people, and I certainly have uh, no qualification to say this, um, <laughs> or to make the suggestion. So this, all of this is not to say that young gay people or, or, or young people of, of any minority experience don't, don't have struggles right now, right? It's just right. that it's a different experience and that the, the struggles of the current generation are going to be different by nature than the folks that, that came before. That's part of what the process is supposed to be, right? It's supposed to be better for next generations, no matter what the group is, right? Right. For everyone. Allegedly. Uh, right. But that comes with a responsibility of understanding what your place is in your own history, right? And what your experience is and how that is the same and different from those who came before you and those who came after you. Which I think brings up to like the next thing that like is no duh, but might as we might as well discuss about the concept of policing at Pride. Um, <laughs> I think I can speak for the podcast ACAB, and also <laughs> no cops at Pride, please. The cops were the reason Stonewall was happening. Are you fucking kidding me? And when you pointed me toward this particular controversy, I I got. Kind of a kick out of it because it's it is a perfect example of you can take the uniform off, right? Like no cops at Pride doesn't mean that people who are police officers can't go to Pride. It's just that you don't go to Pride as a cop. Yeah. And you trust the community to police itself, you know. And if we are not willing to accept that risk, then maybe there are bigger issues at hand than uh, whether or not cops are there, right? But it it's so it is so ridiculous given the history and given what pride is supposed to represent that anyone would be arguing to have police officers there. And especially right now in our current climate, right? When we're finally right. having the conversations that we should have been having forever about whether or not cops need to be frankly anywhere. You know, there's no, to, nowhere, right. no thank the, you. The, the, if there is any place where they are distinctly inappropriate, it's at Pride. If there's one thing that is inappropriate, Pride. It's cops. It's cops? <laughs> is that, can I say that? Yeah, that needs to be on a t-shirt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would wear that t-shirt. Um, we kind of buried the lead. I mean, the 
I don't think there's much controversy besides from other cops and conservatives, but New York Pride is actually banning cops from Pride, I think, for the next few years, which is like, no duh, but also like, wow, a major Pride, a major city Pride has actually done it. In this country and in this climate, that's a big deal. Yeah, and I knew, and I, I think I remember when in Sacramento and our neck of the woods in 2019, the last Pride we would have in person, there was a lot of talk about that. And I think what happened was there was a last minute reversal of decision in terms of uniformed cops are not a Pride. Of course, it inevitably slipped into cops are back at loud Pride. Yay, Pride. Ugh. And I guess my personal antidote, I can never say that right, anecdote, um, for this was I did go to Pride that, Sacramento Pride that year, mostly because um, All Voices Choral Project, led by Lee Hoffman, was doing a performance there, and I wanted to support what I knew, know is something at a project that's really important to Lee. Um, but as you're walking in, and I was grouped with a bunch of, like, Older cis gay ma- male drag queens. There was a bunch of protesters at that entrance we were trying to take, and they were protesting. No cops at Pride, and their response was to shove the protesters to the ground and laugh at them. And if that is not a perfect representation of, oh, uh, just just a perfect representation of what are you doing? You're an old? Do you not remember this history? Like, hello? Also, Sacramento. <sighs> well, yeah, we are a unique city. Um, but the so the people protesting were younger protesting that there were cops? Yes. And they were okay. all youth activists. And it's just like quickly grabbing onto any inch of power that you have and kicking everyone else to the dust. And that is perhaps the the core of the issue here um right i this is a difficult conversation for me to be an effective part of right because it is it is something that i can only look at academically i'm not i am not part of the community um i i isn't a for ally (laughs) (laughs) no no even i know that um but you know, I, I I do everything I can to act as an ally, and 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 that is important to me. But I'm not part of that community. I, it is not it is not my community, and so to talk on it comes purely from a academic place, right? And that is a that's a tricky space to walk. It is difficult to approach something like this that has, for legitimate reasons very personal connections for people, right? And and talk about it from an academic standpoint and and talk about, you know, I would never try to say what should or shouldn't be, but, you know, it, it from that academic standpoint, like an interaction like that is a, is a perfect sort of distillation of, of what the core issue, I think, that we're talking about here is, right? Is that... Groups that previously did not hold power, right, had power withheld from them very actively, have gained power through progressive legislation and through cultural shift, right? 
they have been able to obtain power that they did not have before and, and would not have otherwise. And that is good, right? Because you, when you are starting with less than nothing, any step forward is a net good. But what you know becomes a very difficult thing to navigate, and you see this in every space where power dynamics shift, is that when previously powerless people gain power, some of those people are going to wield that power in the way that the oppressors wield it against them, right? And they won't recognize that they're doing that all the time. You know, people don't always act with malice on the individual level, but, <laughs> you know, without constant large-scale conversations about this sort of thing and without concerted work to be constantly more inclusive and to be constantly pushing that Overton window of, of what is acceptable and what should be. Um, you run into issues where you can have an older cis male drag queen beating up some kids who don't, who think that cops shouldn't be there. Right. <sighs> and, that is a thing that we see everywhere, and it's a really excellent example of, of how no group is immune to these sorts of forces. Oh, definitely not. Which is why we're talking about this stuff for this month on this podcast. Yeah. It's the whole point. Yeah. It's like they opened the closet door, but then they bolted it shut for everyone else. The fact that we are not having a larger, more meaningful conversation about trans people being just people until <laughs> brought in like a broad mainstream way until maybe like the last five, six years. Yeah. Just crazy. 69 till now. Um, yeah. And the fact that that is an even, even a controversial issue for certain groups who might be represented at Pride now. There is, there is still work to be done there. And it's also why arguments online about whether or not people who engage in BDSM should be able to show that at Pride is actually really dangerous because it takes away the attention from actual issues, issues about who is still very much in danger of, of being able to be themselves, not just you know, at Pride, but in the world in general. You can't have that conversation if you are arguing about whether or not a person can have another person on a leash in the street, you know. And what harm does it do to you? Calm the fuck down. If someone wants to wear a leather dog mask, let them be. Well, and and that is the real irony of that, right? So you, we have the irony of, of the police situation, and this is the irony of a event that is supposed to be about the freedom for consenting adults to be the people that they are and to take part in the activities that they want to take part in, right? To engage consensually with everyone in any way that they wish. But now when you add those caveats, you can't have... Those two things cannot exist together, right? You you can't have that kind of freedom and tell people that they can't 
do these things there. If it's not harming someone, if it is consensual, and if it is, you know, not putting yourself or other people in immediate grave danger, it's no one's fucking business other than your own. Right. But also people don't seem to understand consent. So That's a really interesting thing given how much more productive usually conversations we've been having about consent for the last five years, right? Yeah. When I like quote unquote came out to a family member, I won't disclose who, and I explained that I was pansexual, their first response is, Do you have sex with animals? And I'm like <sighs> Which comes from a place a genuine genuine yeah. ignorance. Yes, but also were they were they <laughs> I'm not saying it's right. I'm like I'm not defending them. I'm just saying that like oh, that no. is symbolic of an issue that they have not been exposed to. I guess, but they lived in the they lived in the city for like ten years. So like So maybe they were just being a dick. <laughs> like you've seen it. With all of these things, there is a sphere of it that is happening, you know, that is what you will actually do day to day, which is the um, actually constructive conversations that people are having in good faith about any of these issues. That's not what we talk about online, though, and that's not what Mm -mm. think pieces get written about. They Mm -mm. get written about the most extreme positions in any direction, right? And so... Bad faith arguments. Right. And this isn't like a... You know, media, all media is a bad thing, burn all newspapers sort of situation. It, it, it's a. Burn most of them. Right. Well, it's dismantled the way that media has to work because it is a capitalist society. It is a observation about, like, you know, that's also just how we consume media, right? Like, mm-hmm. we're, if it bleeds, it leads. That has always been true. It's still true. So we're going to have. We are going to talk more about the conversations that are more outrageous or salacious. This is all tied into that, too. Right. And we have those conversations, too, because it's more entertaining to listen to. Yeah, right. And I would hope that we're not falling terribly down that that rabbit hole of... um, Oh, I don't know. Maybe we are. Maybe we are, but... You know, th- there's a list of people that we don't like. So, yes, you will never have good faith arguments with them. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino, Metallica, TERFs. Like the, we're at, the list is growing. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and there are people who don't need a platform um, for those good faith arguments. You know, Quentin Tarantino, Metallica, TERFs, none of them need platforms. No, deplatform them. But I do believe that it is possible to have that nuanced sort of conversation. I think that that is the goal of the conversations that we have. Um, I would hope so. You know, maybe that is too high-minded of me. But, like, the the goal in every conversation shouldn't be to win, right? It should be to... Have a conversation. And to have a conversation and to come out with a different understanding of the issues than when you came in. And so while it is dangerous to even mention these quote-unquote controversies about pride that are up 
you know, and, and going on this year, like they can also be useful jumping off points for that sort of careful, nuanced conversation. And it's a difficult thing to remember too, right? Of like, I'll hit publish on this episode. I'll spend way too much time editing it and, and, and wringing my hands over what goes in and what doesn't. And I'll hit publish <laughs> and 30 to 50 people will download it on that first day. And some of them might really disagree with one or more of our points, but like that's all part of it. And the thing to remember is that for that nuanced conversation to happen, like you gotta you gotta take the good with the bad, right? Like that's gonna be the outcome. And if you want to have that nuanced conversation with us, DM us or join our Patreon. Oh yeah, we have a Patreon. It's coming. I think by the time this episode out, it'll be out. It'll burst out of this closet in a blazing flame of glory. Well, no, everything is just the uh, red and white that is our brand. We will not be doing rainbow merch um, for for this for this month, just because it's our, our first month, and also because it would be disingenuous to follow this episode with that as we roll it out. Like, commodification of pride is really awful. Buy our pride t-shirt. Um, <laughs> I mean, at least it's a rainbow tie-dye shirt that says, people that you shouldn't have a platform with. Right. Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> that goes down and then around and the back. Yeah, yeah, it's more of a robe or a moo-moo at this point, <laughs> but you know what? It gets the point across. A nice fleece blanket. We could do a coffee <laughs> cup where it wraps around and then inside. Yes. See. I don't know who would print a coffee cup like that. Um, we'll make it happen. So what is the point of this episode, Sean? We have a queer individual and a terribly straight man talking into people's ears for an hour. You know, the commodification of pride, that conversation is not new. Like, we're not breaking no. the ground having it. No. Then what is the point of this episode? Why why have this conversation and why publish it? Right. Well, A, maybe someone, hopefully, someone came out of this conversation learning something more about it. If not the commodification of pride, which I think everyone can see, whether or not you choose to notice it, it happens in the form of colorless skittles. That is terrible. Um, that was that was really that that's true. And apparently, that was from last year. And they just, yeah. it's, <laughs> the year you know when everything was literally on fire, they said, "Let's do it again. <laughs> Let's take some more color out of the world." Anyways, but but maybe you haven't 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 thought about the context of it, or maybe you haven't heard an actual queer person's perspective on it, which um please please listen to the people themselves who are involved in these things before you make your own judgments about it. Like, just even listen. You don't have to agree, but maybe just listen to them for a second. And if anything, uh, know that pride is radical, important. The world is still a shithole about a lot of this stuff, so that's why it matters, because we still still have a ways to go before we have entered a truly equitable anti-racist society. So, 
<laughs> there you go. I get to end an episode! Yes! It's no Sam Studios. Well, actually... Did I stutter?